Hello everyone, this is part two of an interview we had with our friend Nick Doom. If you want to listen to part one, that's the episode right before this. Anyway, enjoy the rest of this podcast. I think that was like a great summation of what we should strive to, for. To like, I would say that reform theology a lot of times is a marketing problem in, in the sense of like, what do we show? Let's say we're just talking about specifically the church and not outside of the church, right? If reformed people who claim to be reformed by the standard that we just discussed, like we follow the Bible, whatever it leads, everything else goes to the west side. Like we don't market that very well as, as reformed people. A lot of times we get bugged down with, and, and, and we're marketing it now, but like we market, hey, you know, are you, the, are, are you, are you into like um, the fact that I don't even know, like, there, there's such little minute nuances that we just dive in more and dive in deeper and dive in more. And then we just argue with each other while not recognizing, like, if you know the scriptures and you love Jesus, wouldn't you want to, ex- you know, extrapolate and market who he is and how he's done those things in your life? Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, and, 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 and I would just add to that the way that you market it is important. Right. If you if you're gonna say, oh, this is the super cool thing, like the Calvinists, they um, like to smoke cigars and they grow beards and they like to drink their whiskey and they're the cool kids of the of the theological community, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't care. Like you're dumb, um, and I'm I'm fine with saying it. Um, but the Bible says that in, in Jesus in Luke chapter seven says that um, uh, Luke or not Luke. Um, John, John the Baptist, he's talking about John the Baptist. He said, John came neither eating nor drinking. And you said he has a demon and the son of man came eating and drinking. And you said a glutton and a wine bibber. And this is, this is the key part. And then Jesus says, but I say unto you, wisdom is justified by her children, right? If, if what Calvin does in your soul is lead you away from God, which I'm convinced he will not, right? I'm, I'm, just convinced of that because I've read Calvin. Like I have, I've benefited greatly from being reformed. Um, but if what he, he does in your soul is, is leads to downstream the fruit of that being unwise, throw, throw it by the wayside, go back to the word. Go in other words, word. we have no allegiances other than Christ. Right. What, what Jesus is saying there is, is when he says wisdom is justified by her children. It's like, look at the fruit, look at what's been produced here. And if Reformed theology is just intellectual, then there is no fruit. If it can never get, you, you like have these wonderful, amazing, think of like an acorn that grows up into a great oak tree. If you keep the acorn in like a, a Tupperware, you're like, well, this is an amazing thing. It will grow up into an oak tree someday out there in a way that I'm not going to be related uh, to. Because Jesus I'm not uses like the you. mustard seed, but I'll forgive you. Sure, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I, this is a North American context. We don't have mustard That's, seeds but, here. But, but, but do you see the whole point? That, yes. that was literally the thing that the Reformed bro would say. Like, right. You know, like making that fine, finite nuance and like focusing on that rather than the claim that you're making is like, if you keep it in tubware, it won't grow. Right. Reformed theology says, okay, take all of that, put it in the ground, take all of that, take it outside, do something with it. Right. Jesus came to redeem you. He came to make a new creation and you are that new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? You're not held captive to this world system. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to set men free and the reformed, 
Calvinistic people, the people that understand their Bible and understand what Jesus is doing here in the world, uh, the people that understand the mission of God in the best way possible should have the most fruit. And the sad thing is that they don't. And so you can Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because we love God with all of our mind. But at the end of the day, I think that Pharisees have existed in every age, right? I mean, ultimately, like, and, and to those listening, um, please hear me on this. Jesus was a Pharisee. Like, and, and Tom, Tom's giving me bug eyes. Hold on, let me explain. Um, <laughs> what I'm not saying is that Jesus was a hypocrite, which is often what we think of as a Pharisee. But the Pharisees were the conservatives. The Pharisees were the people that were like, we're Bible people. We love our Bibles, right? Pharisees looked a lot like modern-day Calvinists because Pharisees knew their Bibles and refused to obey their Bibles. They refused to see that Jesus was and, and God, Yahweh, was the Lord of not just the Sabbath, but of every day ending in why, right? He, he's the Lord of, of all the things in his creation, okay? And, and the Pharisees were the people, Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees because they were the people that should have known better. And if there's one description of modern day reformed theology that I think totally applies, it's you are the people who should know better. That, that's a, that's a criticism that should hurt because, you know, to whom more knowledge is given, more judgment. Yeah, to whom be. much is given, much is required. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's the idea. Um, and you've got these, these like quote unquote Calvinists and they're, they love hanging out in their echo chamber. They love to sit on the porch and smoke a pipe and drink a whiskey and just talk big things, but they're the most impotent. They are the most irrelevant people you'll ever meet. They're not actually ever going to get up off their butt and do something. And, and frankly, I, that doesn't make any sense in my reformed view. The people who know their God, who have been made alive by the Spirit, have been made into real people. They've been made into the kind of people that God always intended to inhabit his earth. They should be the most productive people. People who know their God should not be sitting there thinking deep thoughts all the time to the end that they don't ever get up off their butt. They're the kind of people who should be working, right? Because Adam uh, was put in the middle of the garden to work and to tend it. Right? Adam's job was to tend to the creation. Reformed people who know their theology should be the ones that are up off the couch, up off the porch, up out of the sitting around smoking a cigar and, and having a whiskey and having a beer uh, and into the world. They should be the most tired people you ever meet because they're doing useful things, because they're auto mechanics, because they're, they're, um, they're UPS drivers, they're, they're mail drivers, they're, they're, they're doing things, they're building things, they're, they're engaging in God's world because they're doing it in the freedom of their, of their conscience, right? They have been set free by Jesus. They're no longer held captive by sin and by death and by doubt. And those particular people are very pleasing to talk to about their views about theology. In other words, if you have a charismatic who notices right. a reformed guy doing that, they are a whole lot more fun, enjoyable, and um, engaging to talk to rather than the guy who knows everything but didn't do much for the Lord. Right. And, and, and frankly, like, I, I am reformed. Like, I'm not, I'm not coming at this from a, of a non, non-reformed Yeah, and that's kind of, yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, hey, honestly, like, number one, read your Bible. Number two, obey it. 
that's reformed. Yeah. Um, if you, uh, I had another question. Let, let's say we do get more specific. Let's say we go into uh, the differences between, you know, the atonement. Is it limited? Is it not limited? Did does is are all the saints going to persevere? Whom been purchased by Christ? Um, because those are crucial and important topics. Um, how are some ways we can go about that? Well, I, th- I think it's really important to to ultimately have a reformed or Calvinistic um, understanding of salvation. Okay, um, and, and the reason for it is that if I am going to go out into the world, um, I need to know that my position with God is sure. Okay, in other words, my salvation um, has become what, what the psychologist would say part of my essential self. Okay, this is who I am in my essence, right? And and you're operating in the world out of this sense of identity. Yeah, this is who I am, right? I am saved. I am redeemed. I am a new creation. Therefore, I work, right? In other words, I need this place of total security in Christ in order to be effective. Like ultimately, if you run the idea out to its logical ends that I chose God and therefore I could reject God, therefore my salvation is not eternally secure in the, in the eternal purposes of God, right? Then all of my efforts is in some way to earn the favor of God, Right? Yeah. Ultimately, though, the reformed position is I have been redeemed. Now I'm free. I can walk outside. I can go mix it up. I, I, I can go figure things out. I can, in fact, uh, and this is, doesn't give us license to sin, but I can sin and know that my forgiveness, my repentance has already been secured. It's been bought for. It was paid for at Calvary. I am redeemed. I, I would like, almost yeah. Like that, that's the importance of it, right? It, it's not important for us to know that our, <clears throat> our salvation is secure, or that that um, that we have assurance of salvation, so that we can just sit around and be assured of our salvation. Yeah. It's so that we can get into dangerous situations and be assured that there is um, going to be a rescue from it. Yeah, I think of it as like if you're deadlifting, like let's say you're deadlifting your max, like maximum weight you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like the reform movement, you're deadlifting on a solid rock right? versus someone who believes that, you know, you can possibly lose your salvation is deadlifting on a piece of glass and they're not sure how much they can deadlift before it breaks. Or, or like, like an air, like a, a exercise ball. Yeah. It, it, it's wobbly. It's unstable. There, there's potential for error and a potential for falling through. Right. In other words, reform theology enters into the picture and it says you have to deadlift. Deadlifting is part of the sovereign plan of God. For you have life. to pick up the weight. You have to pick up the weight. You have to, you have to shoulder the burden. You can either do it on sure footing or unsure footing. Yeah. Christ is our cornerstone. He is our solid rock. He's right. our foundation. And this goes Strong back tower. To, to the idea of if we're going to have a theology, what is it useful for? Right. Assurance. Yeah, assurance is key. Assurance is not just key like so that we can sit here and talk about it. Assurance is going to be key for me. This is a Thursday night that we're recording this. Um, it's going to be key tomorrow morning when I go into my job, right? And I have to do things. I, I have to go make sales calls and I have to go do all of these things that make me uncomfortable. Or I have to die a thousand little deaths, okay? To, to self, to my pride, to, to all these things. Like the assurance of salvation is key in that moment to know that I am secure. 
if I fail, I fail in Christ. Yeah, and then <clears throat> I succeed. I, I succeed in Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, then you start making all these categories as of like, how far is too far? You know, before I lose my salvation, and uh, you know, obviously we don't want to make like a wrong caricature. Like, it's obviously not something like, oh, I just lost my salvation. Like, where is it? I need to look under my seat. It, that's not how they think. You know, they think that it's a willful rejection, like of like over like a long period of rejecting Christ. Um, but then ultimately, yeah, like you said, the thinking is then somehow I am working. Like if I could lose my salvation, then somehow I can earn it back or somehow I'm, I'm sustaining it. But apostle Paul says that, you know, the, by the spirit, that's, that's, uh, if you think that you could, like you could earn the spirit or, uh, what is it in Galatians that by the law, you don't do the works of the spirit, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that those. I mean, especially juxtaposed real... from what the reform movement reformed from, which would be the Catholic Church, where you will always have some kind of drop in the bucket that needs to be accomplished, unless you are baptized and never sin again. You know, there's Which, always <laughs> right. If we're gonna believe our Bibles, right? <laughs> the 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 heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? You you sin. I sin, yeah. right? I, I don't have to know you to know that you sin, right? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. I mean, and, and talk about like the assurance of salvation. Like why is this so critical in, in our day-to-day lives? Well, you know, I, I woke up this morning just on a very personal, like kind of real example, like why is this important? Um, I woke up this morning and I was just, sinful in my in my thoughts and like I just um wanted to be like lazy and like not go to work and like all these things and 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 I knew it was sin right um and then what I wanted to do was just wait until like I felt a little bit better like I could come back to God on his term or on my terms right (laughs) um like I'll just let enough time go by before I confess the sin so that like you know kind of saving face with God um, the assurance of salvation takes away the need to feel like you have to do that. You have to somehow save face with God. Or you can just come in repentance and forgiveness and confession right then. And so what happened today was that I walked into work and I was just useless for two hours. You know, just useless. Just like, man, I just want to get back into like fellowship with God. And I don't want to confess my sins until it's like time you know, um, you know, enough time has gone by between my sinning and like my confession that God would like kind of have forgotten about how bad my sin was, right? With the assurance of salvation, like an active belief in that doctrine, and that was not what I was believing in. Like I wasn't believing that Christ paid for me at the cross. Uh, I became a functional disbeliever in that. Um, my believing in that leads me to this place of like going, just, like just confess your sins. He is faithful and just. and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. If you confess your sins, like the ones you know about, he's faithful and just to, con- to, to for- cleanse you and for- to forgive you of, of not just the sins you know about, but from all unrighteousness. Like we unwittingly make sins all the time. Like we just make big sin piles. 
Like, like kids make mud pies, we make sin pies, right? Just, here's been all my sin pies. I didn't even realize I had made these other ones over here. Um, and then Jesus says, be cleansed from all of it. Thank you for bringing to me the ones you know about, right? Um, and, and so why this doctrine is so precious to us, why assurance of salvation is so precious to us is because it allows us to function in our day-to-day. It allows us to come before God and say, you know what, God? I blew it. I messed up. I sinned. Please, Lord God, forgive me. And you know you have the assurance that he does, right? And you are useless if your sins aren't forgiven. Like if, you, if you're not walking in forgiveness, if you're not walking in confession of your sins, if you're not walking in repentance, walking in newness of life, you are useless to Jesus. Will you think you can just go out and evangelize for, for Jesus? you think you can do anything for Jesus? No, <laughs> you, well, you, you can't. The assurance of salvation gives you the sure footing to come and to confess your sins no matter how many times you've sinned against God. Yeah, and... Would you also agree that like none like we can't become more like Christ unless you know God actually provides it for us right. and that comes through us asking him right it, to become more like Christ you have to ask him that the spirit would change your heart yeah. right and then it goes to like the sovereignty of God through that like I that's how important prayer is that's what I like I started understanding these last few years that I have to come before and be humble and ask like I can't do this on my own I need I can't pull myself by my own bootstraps to try to become more like Christ I literally have to there's some sin in my life that literally it won't I won't be able to overcome a temptation unless I prepare myself like in the garden he comes he comes to the disciples like why are you guys asleep pray and I think this is the functional um Achilles heel of the reformed movement this is the functional thing that that really trips us up is yes that's true Okay, so does that lead you to wallowing in your own deficiencies or does that lead you to believing God, coming to him in repentance, right? Like, hey, God, thank you for the grace to repent today. And now I'm going to go and operate on the assumption that your promises are true. Uh, To me, like, does that make sense? Yeah, to me, like some of Tom's question, I would say, I mean, to some of Tom's statement would be that... um, Full assurance requires total total dependence. It does, right? But that total dependence doesn't end at your recognition. Of yeah, total, total dependence. dependence not only for forgiveness of sin, but your ability to act and move and right. lift the weight. Right. So because God says, I'm totally dependent on him, I'm going to come to him and say, God, I'm totally dependent on you. And then I'm going to get up off my knees and be totally dependent on God to go do the other things that God's called me to do in my life. And how do I know what those things are? Well, because I look at my itinerary for the day and I know what God's called me to do, right? (laughs) Yeah. Did did God call me to be a missionary to Africa today? Nope, he did not. Did God call me to go and be faithful worker at my office today? Yes, he did, right? Do I believe that God is giving the grace for that? Yeah. I do. Do I believe that I can be faithful in any way, shape, or form without his grace at my office in the little things? No. That's the reform position. The reform position understands the theological, right, that I'm totally dependent on God and then pushes that dependence into obedience. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because if you have to recognize that, like, the greatest command is to love, is to love God, right, perfectly love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
None of us have done that ever. Well, well, hold up. There are a couple people who claim to have. <laughs> I haven't met them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but Do, and, and the problem is like, if we, if we think that we we can achieve that kind of perfection, like what happens? Like, what do you think happens? Because I've 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 uh, come across people like that, you know, even like former, you know, people that were discipling me. They said that like. There's been weeks in my life where I've I don't think of ever that I didn't sin. Yeah, what I would say <laughs> is like you're you are you are in left field, bud. You you are you are missing the point, big time. Look at Jesus. Like I, I'm not going to debate with you. I'm not going to argue with you that you yeah. didn't sin or did sin. Yeah. Like I think God's pretty clear that we sin all the time. Yeah. We're far more sinful than we think we are. Yeah, but right? that that shouldn't lead to us like constantly feeling condemned because we have that assurance right and it's like we have that access with the father Mm -hmm. we're adopted Mm -hmm. we are the prodigal who have we're lost and we are found and i think maybe we'll go here maybe we won't but we we talked about getting to the reformed bros Mm -hmm. go ahead no right um but but i think they're they're a great example of exactly what you're talking about tom is this idea of um reformed doctrine leads me into this kind of like wallowing in my sin like oh i am so totally depraved like you don't even know like you don't know you don't know i've i don't know i'm so sinful i'm incapable i'm so i'm sinful to the point of being incapable of being useful yeah that even even my way shape or form even my statement about being sinful is sinful right yeah so so much sin so much sin praise god for his grace right um if the forgiveness of your sins, like if you truly believe your sins are forgiven and that isn't attended by joy, you need to start asking, are my sins forgiven? Hmm. Like, do I get it? Did, did I yeah. miss, did I miss something? Like Jesus said, I was, I was on my way to damnation. This is just basic Christian doctrine. 101. I was on my way to hell. The grace of God intervened. And according to nothing good I ever did, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going into perdition. I'm not going to fall away. I'm not going to be. If that doesn't fill you with joy, you've missed the point of the Bible. <laughs> like, and, and that, I think, this cultivating this high sense of joy, like joy in the doctrines of grace, joy in that i'm a big fat sinner i suck and jesus is a big fat savior his grace to me knows no bounds where sin abounded grace abounded all the more isn't this wonderful sins can be forgiven praise god let us take our bread as as it says in acts chapter 2 with simplicity and heart yeah that's the reformed position so, That's what it is to be Calvinistic, is to say, my sins are forgiven. Praise God. Not of my own working. Praise God. I did nothing to earn this righteousness, and I'm forgiven. And if that makes you melancholy, if that makes you sad, if that makes you dour, you've missed, you've missed it. You've missed the whole reason that grace entered in. Grace entered in so that you might know the joy of the Lord. The joy of having your sins forgiven. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just trying to think like in my life like why why do you think that happens? Like why do you think I over over like 
I look like too much at my sin and then it then I can't like I just can't rejoice because like I see the slow slow process of sanctification because like I'm not lying to myself like I'm being brutally honest like some people would say like oh you're just being too hard on yourself but uh but sometimes like why do you think that reason is that I just look at or we just look at our sin like too often it's just we don't maybe we don't understand like we maybe at that moment we just don't believe that our sins are actually forgiven. I think I think I can't remember. It, I want to say Spurgeon, but I don't. I don't know that it was Spurgeon that said this. For every, but the saying goes: for every for every look you take at your sin, take ten looks at the cross. Mm. Right. And Nick, you were talking about this earlier. Like like we are people, we are cross shaped people. We are cruciform people. Like that's that defines our existence. If you're going to be brutally honest with your sin, be brutally honest about the whole story. Yes, you sinned. Be brutally honest about that. But you cannot be brutally honest about your sin if you're not more brutally honest about the cross. Because the cross ultimately overcomes your sin. Like, as brutal as your sins may be, the cross is more brutal to your sins. Yeah. Right? Your sins, the handwriting of requirements, the certificate of your debt, Colossians 2... 14 has been taken out of the way has been past tense taken out of the way it's done it's gone it's over like if 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 you can't just throw up your hands and just praise god and laugh like rejoice like throw back your head in song and praise and like you don't have a care in the world then you miss the fact that you really really actually don't have a care in the world yeah. Your salvation's secure. Like, and to the to the whole reform community that wants to argue online, like I look at them and like, do you know your salvation's secure? There's this great freeing thing. You can throw back your head and laugh because Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. Laughter's a possibility for you now. <laughs> like, get it through your thick Calvinistic brains. You think that would probably lead to maybe if you just thought about that more and more every day, that would lead to more loving conversations online, probably. Right. You you would, um, <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah, yeah. Because you would understand the love of God, what He did for you, and so you would point that love to other people. Right. And like, just because my theology is different than yours, doesn't mean I should berate you and not be gentle with you. And I struggle with it. Like like Calvinists are sinners just like the rest of everyone. Like I want to be like, hey, guys, this is good stuff. And then, you know, people are like, well, that's just ridiculous that you would believe that. And you're like, well, I'll show you ridiculous. Um, Quote 10 scriptures. Yeah, exactly. And that's not the heart. Like Jesus looks at James and John when they ask him to call down lightning from heaven. He's like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Yeah. You know, you missed the, you won the battle, but you missed the war. Yeah, like you were, we were fighting World War Two, and you were here playing chess, and you're like, we won, but did you really? Yeah. Um, were you part it, of that victory? Because it's ultimately up to God. Like, it's up to God who He wants to, um, you know, call down lightning on right. or send a storm. The the idea is, if God's really in control, then let Him be in control. It's that simple. And don't just take that as like hard knocks. Yeah. Take that as like, and isn't this wonderful? Yeah. Because the other option is he is not in control. Right. And that is a lot worse. Right. 
but cultivate, cultivating a high sense of joy. You, you talk about a marketing problem with the reformed world. And, and, and that's like a modern term, but that is, that is a term I think that applies. Why is this so unattractive? Right. It, it's because what we're telling the world by the way that we live is that come, it, we're, we're, we're telling them, come know Jesus and have your life ruined. <laughs> right. Your life your plans. suck as much as mine. Yeah. You will hate it far more. And the reality of it is that that's not true. What you want more than anything in the world is to be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who forgave your sins. Come to the one who bought everything in this world back. Come to the one who makes your life not meaningless anymore. And experience actual eternal life. Yeah. yeah. It's experience the, the bread of life. But experience the, the um, living waters. Like, like what Jesus does when he enters in is you've got people who are actually dead. They're zombies. They're walking around not knowing who they are. And Jesus enters into their life and he makes them real people again. Like he breathes the breath of life back into them. Remember at the end of John, he breathes on the apostles and he says, receive the spirit, right? This is the same idea that, that Yahweh, um, God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living being. Abraham and he changes his name. Sarah changes her name. Right. Yeah. The breath of God, it accomplishes this. It gives life. Okay. So the spirit enters into believers, right? And, and what we should be in the Reformed community is those who beckon to the world to say, come and be what God made you to be. So going back to like the cool kids who like smoke cigars and like drink whiskey or like whatever it is they do, they think, okay, great, praise God. But if you can't do that with joy, you've missed something because the only reason, the only thing that you have to, to smoke cigars or drink whiskey or to drink tea or to have snacks or to have anything good in your life and it doesn't have to be like food or like you know whatever but anything good like the love between a woman and a man the love between a parent and a child like any of the things that we would consider good like i think of good and i like bacon smells good smells like bacon and and it and it feels like baseball in the middle of july right like all of these things and truly to be to be able to enjoy all these things is to to come to a position of understanding I can engage these things from a redeemed perspective. Yeah, except except I'm not sure if baseball is good like to watch, maybe we'll, to play. We'll we'll pray that the that the spirit would bring us to a unity of mind on that one. Yes. Time. Yeah. When we, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a that's like the ultimate epitome of of ex, the Christian experience. It is to enjoy life because of christ well that's the that's the i think when i think of reformed theology the the the, if i was going to encapsulate it in one sentence it's the it's the first question from the westminster shorter catechism which really is the like um just for the listeners um this is the um the reason we go back to westminster is because it's the it's the theological document that is that informs our faith in english Okay. In other words, English yeah. at this time uh, didn't have any, but before Westminster, didn't have any kind of formalized, like, this is what we believe as Christians. Okay, as, as Christians, because English as a language at 1646 was a very young language. It had only been around for maybe 100 years. Okay, so 
the reason we go back to Westminster and say like this is that we hold up this document and say like this is what Christians believe is because English itself was a young language. Like we could go back to the to the Greek and have other things to say, right? But this is the first kind of understanding of what it is to be a Christian in English. And and Westminster number one, um, like what is what is the question is first question of the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? What is man's total purpose? What is their final purpose? Right? And and it is to glorify God and and to enjoy him forever. Yeah. And you read like online in these like chat forums or whatever, like all these reformed bros with their beards and their cigars and their and their pipes and their whiskeys and their beers and, and all this stuff. And it doesn't seem like any of them enjoy anything ever. <laughs> like right. if the statement was, are you enjoying God and glorifying him? What do you like, mean? That they, wouldn't fit the picture. No, like they think the Westminster number one is, is answered by like to glorify God by being unhappy at everything all the time. And to making sure that other people know that they're wrong. Yes. Well, they enjoy uh, arguing. Right. And being right. Yeah. Which nobody else does. So it begs the question of like, is this an enjoyable activity objectively? No, it's not. To themselves, selfishly. It's, it's not to enjoy arguing, but it's to enjoy God. Right. To glory, and, and to bring him glory, to enjoy him in, the way, in a way that brings him glory. Um, that's, that's the epitome of Reformed theology. So some people's uh, chief end of men is to glorify man and argue with him forever. Yeah. I think that, that would be hell. <laughs> In a quite literal sense. No, that's that sounds awful to me. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah sorry, it got a little dark. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I think we'll end on that. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people, when they hear Reformed theology, they they all of a sudden start dissecting random topics that have minute nuances and kind of have division. Like Reformed theology, in a lot of people's minds, equals division. Mm-hmm. But really. What it is, it's the unification of all believers under Christ and what he says in his word. Right. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever in everything. Because, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All the authority on earth, everywhere. Everywhere you go, Jesus has a claim. Jesus has a stake. Jesus says, this is mine. Uh, Kuiper in another place uh, will come for full circle, and you know we can we can end here. Uh, it's your show, so <laughs> Go ahead. Um, he says there is not a single square inch in all of creation over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not cry, "Mine! This belongs to me. I bought this with my blood." That's Reformed theology. Amen. Now that that's over, let's talk about the real stuff. Just kidding. No. <laughs> Should we end in doxology? Yeah. <laughs>